Good morning. I'll try it again. Good morning. Oh, thank you. <laughs> um, it's a great pleasure to be with you here again, and I'd like to uh, just come before the Lord and again seek Him as we come to His Word. Loving Heavenly Father, we come uh, humbly in Your presence and seek You uh, that you would open the pages of Scripture to us by your Holy Spirit. We know that it's his work to reveal Christ to us, and we're asking for that. We, learn, we yearn after you, Lord. We don't know your word well enough, but we come under the authority of your word this morning. Help us, Lord. Help me. And I also pray, Lord, um, for the Garifalakis family. Um, the challenges, the major challenges that they've had um, this week. And we pray for Peter that your healing hand will be on him. We pray for John and Shalene and Sophia. Father, comfort them, bless them, empower them, be with them. We do thank you. And now again, as we look at your word, we seek you, Lord, in the precious name of your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. This uh, sermon today is part of a series we've been uh, really looking at the importance of prayer right throughout this year, but particularly we've been looking at a series that's called Prayer on the Journey. We've been looking at what might be called the Pilgrim Psalms, or the uh, Psalms of Ascent, the songs that pilgrims used to sing as they wended their way up towards Jerusalem. So this, uh, the, those psalms are sort of, they start about Psalm 120 and go through to Psalm 134. Today, our psalm is 131. If you have your Bible on an app or on a, a paper version, please turn and have a look at it. I've called this prayer uh, a prayer when you struggle with pride. Would you say that you're a prideful person? Or would you say that you're a humble person? It's almost like a, a trick question in a way, a humorous question, because if you say, oh, um, I'm rather a humble person, uh, you've just lost it. I, um, it reminds me of a cartoon I saw in Leadership Journal quite a few years ago. It was a, of, a, of a church that gave their pastor a badge that said humble pastor and took it away because he wore it. So <laughs> it's one of those, it's, it's a very uh, interesting thing that we have to think about. Let me dig a little bit deeper though. Um, what would your friends say about you? Would they say, if they were talking about you, oh, he's rather a, an arrogant person, or she's, rather, she's a very humble person? Even that's a tricky question, because it's possible, it's so easy to spot pride in other people and, and really not notice it in yourself. It's also, it's, always, it's also possible 
to come across as a humble person but be seething with pride inside. So this is something that is important for us to examine and have a look at today. I want to probe it even a little bit deeper still, if I could, about this topic of pride and humility and say, however, it's important in a way what you think of yourself and what others think of you, but what, what do you think God would be thinking? How would, how would he view you at the moment? Would he describe you as proud or humble? It's rather an important question because um, 1 Peter 5, 5 says that God resists or opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Some sermons I've preached, and I suppose in my ministry life I've preached thousands of them, but some of them amount to what I would call small adjustments you need to make. But this is, today, is a big issue. This is not something off to the side. C.S. Lewis calls pride the great sin. So Psalm 131 calls for your attention and mine. Let me read the psalm to you. A song of ascents of David. My heart is not proud, Lord. My eyes are not haughty. I do not concern myself with great matters or things too wonderful for me. But I have calmed and quieted myself or my soul. I am like a weaned child with its mother, like a weaned child. I am content. Israel, put your hope or your trust in the Lord both now and forevermore. The great um, English preacher C.H. Spurgeon said, this is one of the shortest psalms to read, but the longest to live. Three verses that have an incredibly powerful message for me and for you today. So in the first verse, in verse 1, we find the psalmist reflecting on the, on the pride factor. Now, maybe this is God's dealing with my pride, but I can't get this lovely doofer thing to work. I thought I had. Where have I got to point it up there? Well, I'm still trying. Oh, there we go. We find the, the psalmist then reflecting on the pride factor. He's talking about three things as he, he uh, brings this, this prayer to the Lord. And he's saying, Lord, or Yahweh, my heart is not proud. Notice what he's talking about. First of all, he's talking about his heart. And if this psalm is a psalm of David, which the, someone has put on of David, if it's a psalm of David, then Psalm 139, verse 23 and 24 would fit into that where he says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts. So you, you, you notice where 
this psalm starts, it starts with the Lord. It starts with Yahweh. He's not talking to other people. This is just him interacting with Yahweh and saying, Lord, you know me at the moment. As far as I know, my heart is not proud. It could be, he could be referring, as I've put in the, if you're making notes, you could put Psalm, 1 Samuel 24, verses 1 to 8. It's an incredible story there. If it's David, he could be referring to a time when he was being hunted by King Saul. Now, David had already been anointed as the new king of Israel, but for about 10 years, he was actually hounded and hunted by King Saul who was out to kill him. And there was a couple of times, and this was one of them, where he had a, David had his big opportunity. He could have easily, but Saul was sleeping and he could have actually nailed him and killed him. Instead of that, he cuts off the corner of Saul's robe. Listen to the words in uh, 1 Samuel 24. Afterward, David was conscience-stricken conscience stricken for having cut off the corner of his robe. He said to his men, The Lord forbid that I should do such a thing to my master, the Lord's anointed, or lay my hand on him, for, for he is the anointed of the Lord. And down in verse 8 it says, David bowed down and prostrated himself with his face to the ground. So there are times in our life and in time, I'm sure you can recognize there have been times in your life where you could just say, at the moment, Lord, my heart is not proud. And it could be that that was what David was referring to. Maybe that was one of the periods in his life. So there was, first of all, then his heart. But then, secondly, there was his ambitions. And this is... Very interesting. How did I how did I get it going the other time? Could uh, could uh, whoever's down there? Could you please move it on? Thank you. The secondly, his ambitions. He says, "My eyes are not haughty." And the words the word haughty means that my eyes are not lifted up. He's not overly ambitious or selfishly ambitious. And he says, this is how I am, Lord. You know me. And uh, there are some uh, ambitions that are godly ambitions. First, uh, Second Corinthians 5, 9, talk, uh, Paul says there, my ambition is to please him. So there are good ambitions and selfish ambitions. And the psalmist here is saying, Lord, when it comes to my ambitions... My eyes are not haughty. But then there's thirdly his projects. He says, I do not concern myself with great matters. Thank you. I do not concern myself with great matters or things too wonderful for me. In other words, he's not um, going on overload. He's not um, overextending himself. And, and those kind of things happen to you, and they certainly happen to me every now and again. I just take on too much, take on more than this 
this life is really designed to handle. There was a, a famous story there, and I've listed the scripture of your making notes, 2 Chronicles 26, verse 1 to 5. It's one of the sort of most inspiring, but also the saddest stories in the Bible. It's about a king called Uzziah. For 52 years, he was a wonderful king, and, and the, um, the chapter talks about how amazing he was, how he did all sorts of incredible um, projects all through Israel for 52 years. But then in verse 16 it says, he was marvelously helped until he became strong. In other words, until the point that he suddenly realized how powerful he was, up to that point he was a humble man, but all of a sudden he gets caught up with his own power, and he's not satisfied just to be a king. He now um, thinks, you know, it would be really good to be a priest, a high priest as well. So he gets the censer and he goes into the temple and he sort of swings it around in his pride. And the saddest part is that God judges him and he becomes a leper and he dies a leper away from the people of Israel for the rest of his life. I say that because it is possible to be a humble person, but then to get caught up with yourself and get carried away with what's happening in your life and to become too big uh, for those boots of yours. This is, is closer than you think. I can remember a, a time, um, or oh, quite a few years ago now, where I was approached by the, the World Evangelical Alliance. Somehow they'd heard that I'm a mentor, and, and they said, look, we would ask you to be the international coordinator for mentors for Brazil and Philippines and Indonesia, all over the world. We want you to be the international uh, coordinator of mentors in all those countries. So I was initially kind of like, oh, this sounds really wonderful, but I went and consulted with one of the wisest human beings I've ever come across, our pastor, Brad Carr, who also happens to be my father, uh, my son-in-law, I was going to say father-in-law, <laughs> but... Uh, um, he, uh, so he listened to me, to, then he asked me, he said, I've just got two questions. One is, is your ego involved? And I'm thinking, that is unfair. <laughs> <laughs> is your ego involved? And then he, second, he said, secondly, you're leading living stones at the moment. Would, uh, would that be putting you into overload? And the answer to both of those questions was definitely yes. And so I, had to, I decided to say no to this supposedly great opportunity. Um, and, and I'm so thankful. My, I'm incredibly thankful that God helped me in that stage to step aside from some projects that I could have handled that would have been, in a sense, things too wonderful for me, beyond what God really had in his heart for me. So what about you? Um, would you say that you are a prideful person? Here are seven signs that 
indicate that you may be more prideful than you realize. Firstly, you don't think that you struggle with pride. Maybe that's the sort of thing that other people struggle with, but not you. You've just shown how prideful you are. Secondly, you over, overestimate your abilities, or you underestimate them so that people will say, how, no, 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 how really great you are. So you, you want, you, you're showing how prideful you are. mostly talking about yourself, not listening to others. That's a huge one. That would be an indicator almost straight away when you start talking, are you, are you asking questions of other people and showing interest in them, or when you open your mouth, are you really talking about yourself and your projects and all the things that are happening and your children and your family and your achievements? That will show whether you're prideful or not. You, you compare yourself with others and, and invariably come up trumps. I sort of know somebody at the moment in the world um, that, uh, <laughs> that's why I put that word there, but I'm sure you know about the Donald. <laughs> you feed on the praise of others and feel sick when no one comments. That's, that second part is the one that really shows. Um, if you're waiting for more and more and more affirmation, constant affirmation, but if you're absolutely, completely sick, if nobody says anything when you do something really good. Number seven, you're often fishing for compliments. Recently, this happened to me recently. Elaine and I have just come back from Nepal where we um, started a Barnba School of Leadership for 29 wonderful pastors over there in uh, Bhaktapur. And uh, when you get to this age, uh, stage of your life, I'm 74 now, um, you do fish for compliments, and one of them is, um, the, this one of the pastors said to me, how old are you? Well, you know what I want him to say. 60 or maybe <laughs> 64. <laughs> Might be okay. You know what he said? 85. <laughs> I thought, oh, uh, yes, okay, that put me in my place. So the psalmist in our first verse says, Lord, you know me. You know where I am at the moment. My heart is not proud. My eyes are not haughty. I do not concern myself with great matters or things too wonderful for me. What's your reaction when you read those words? I know what mine is. My reaction is, how could David say verse 1 and still be humble? That's, that's my problem with that. How can you actually even think that? And if we could go to the next slide, please. Here's my best shot at that, and that is this. That... Um, Commentators suggest that Psalm 130 and 131 are probably a pair. And the first evidence for that is when you think of, of Psalm 130, if you were here last Sunday and Brad was preaching, you would have heard him talk about Psalm 130. How the psalmist says, Out of the depths I have cried to you, O Lord. 
Uh, one commentator says, if out of the depths you cry, you will cry yourself out of the depths. So he cries to the Lord, and the thing that he's burdened about is his own sinfulness, and he gets overwhelmed with his own sinfulness, but he gets equally even more overwhelmed with God's abundant, amazing forgiveness. And when you think about that, that brings you very, very low. If you were here last Sunday and you took communion, you brought a stone or a rock up here, and you were thinking about some of the things that you have done, and you brought and laid that before the Lord. And so you, um, you need to recognize that you have come very, very low. And if this is David, both Psalms by David, he's so low and so humbled before the Lord about his, the depths of his sinfulness and the greatness of God's grace that he can say, Lord, my heart is not proud. It's not lifted up. The second reason um, is that it's a similar kind of structure if you've got your Bible there. Um, look at Psalm 130, and you'll notice that he, in verse 5 and 6, he's, uh, verse 6 he says, I wait for the Lord more than the watchman wait for the morning, more than the watchman wait for the morning. And in, in Psalm 131, it's a similar kind of thing. Verse 2, I've calmed and quieted my soul. I'm like a weaned child. I'm like a weaned child. I am content. And you'll notice in verse 7 in Psalm 130, it's got a refrain there. Israel, put your hope in the Lord. And then in verse 3 of Psalm 131, Israel, put your hope in the Lord. So I believe that it's possible that, that the psalmist is able to say these words with truthfulness, with honesty, because of what he's been through in his reflections in, in Psalm 130. But I think that there's even a better reason, a bigger reason, and that is verse 2. It tells us how he has dealt uh, with pride. He, oh, that's another thing that's just come up there. Dealing with pride is never-ending. In other words, it's something that you're going to have to wrestle with and I'm going to have to wrestle with till the day of my death. This, this is not something that you kind of like conquer and you think, whew, great, now I am a very, very humble person. No, it's not that. This, this will be with you to the day of your death. So that's why the next verse is so important. Verse 2. You'll notice what he says. But I have calmed and quieted myself. I'm like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child, I am content. Notice firstly what he's doing. He's, he's talking to himself. He says... I have calmed and quieted. I have stilled my soul. I have quieted myself. This is, he, in other words, he is talking to himself, not listening to himself. He's just like, oh dear, this very bad things happen, but I, and I feel fretful, but I'm going to actually talk to myself and say, soul, be still, calm down. And so that's what he's doing in the first part of the verse. 
And this happened to me quite recently. Um, I'm writing, I have been writing over the last two weeks a course that I've called Leading Light Nehemiah. It's based on the whole book of Nehemiah for Module 2 for Myanmar when Elan and I go there next month. And quite honestly, the, the writing of the course became too much for me. I thought, when am I going to... I just can't get it all together. I can't hold this all together. And I started fretting and started um, feeling discouraged and a bit down, and I told Elaine how I was feeling. And then, all of a sudden, it hit me. Roland, you're going to be preaching on Psalm 131, verse 2. And so why don't you practice it? So I just said to myself, Roland, be still. Calm down. Um, quiet your soul. The Lord's got this sorted out. Just come before him and just settle your soul. It's almost, I almost felt as if I heard the Lord say the words that he said when the disciples were rowing out in the boat, when, it, when the storm was, was in full force, he said, be still. And he calmed me down as I calmed myself down. And I became like that child that you see in the picture there. I just said, please go back to the previous one. Um, because there are, there are, in this uh, verse, there are actually two images, two possibilities in terms of the metaphor that he's using. He said, I'm like a weaned child with its mother, like a weaned child... I am content. So if it's, a, if it's a wean child he's talking about, it's a child that is just sort of fussing, that is no longer fussing, that is no longer desperately trying to get a, a feed from its mother. It's not in that situation anymore. It's just completely content. Other commentators suggest that the image is the next one, and that is that it's talking about a nursing child with its mother. You probably have experienced that if you've got little children. They're sort of so satiated, so, so full, so floppy, that they just kind of, they're just there. And that's how the Lord wants you. That's how he wants me. That's how he wants us in this church, to be completely satisfied in his presence. And when I think about that, I think about Philippians 4, verse 11 through to 13. In that passage, um, Paul says, I have learned, twice he says, I've learned to be content. Then he says, I've learned the secret of being content. And, and you feel like saying to him, Paul, please uh, tell me the secret. I, I need to know the, the true secret of contentment. And in the context, the secret of the cont contentment is verse 13. But verse 13 is one of the most misunderstood verses, I think, in the whole Bible. I'm sure you've seen it if, you, if you've watched Hong Kong 7s. Uh, and you've watched the uh, Fijian team, most of them have got a sort of like a band there that says, Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. 
So the thought is, I could be on a fairly ordinary team, but if Christ strengthens me, we can win the thing. We can, we can uh, win the whole tournament. Or I may not be all that good at long jumping, but I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And that's, that's such a complete misunderstanding. It's not saying that you can achieve anything you want to because Christ strengthens you. He hasn't designed you that way. That's you um, thinking of things that are too wonderful for you. No, I think the NIV translation is the best I've come across. I can do all these things through Christ who strengthens me. In other words, I can be content, even though Paul says I have very little sometimes, and sometimes I have plenty, Whether, whenever that is, I can cope with all of that because Christ gives me strength, because I'm satisfied in him, because I rest in his arms. Uh, John Piper says that God is most satisfied with us when we are most satisfied in him. So we're satisfied in the Lord's arms. We rest in his arms. We're still. We calm and quiet ourselves. And I don't know what you've been through this week. As one family at least in our church has gone through the worst possible kind of situation. What about you? Have you gone through something really, really difficult? Are you stressed? Are you burdened? Are you really worried about something? Just talk to yourself and say, I'm going to still and quiet my soul like a weaned child with its mother or like a nursing child with its mother. So is my soul within me. So we find the psalmist in verse 1 firstly reflecting on the pride factor, secondly cultivating the contentment factor, and thirdly practicing the trust factor. It's almost like a throwaway line. He says in verse 3, Israel, put your hope in the Lord, both now and forevermore. So you think, what's that about? Well, it's really the central theme in the whole psalm, and that is to cultivate such a trustful attitude towards the Lord that you give God control. You open your hands and you give God control of your life and you pray this not just for yourself but for other people as well. The big idea or the main idea, I think, of this psalm is this. Authentic faith calls for deep humility and godly contentment rather than boastful pride and selfish ambition. How do you respond to that? Does that make you repentant and say, Lord, I repent of prideful attitudes that I've had. I repent of the discontent that is true in my life at the moment. I'm discontent with my, my job, my, uh, my situation. I'm just, just discontent, Lord. Repent of that. Get right before the Lord. Are you convicted about your pridefulness? but maybe you're also feeling extremely inadequate. And if that is true, let me remind you that there's only one who's ever lived this way all of his life, and his name is Jesus Christ. And one time he said these beautiful words to his disciples. He said, come to me, 
all you that, who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke and, upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So he is the one to whom we need to come when we have prideful attitudes. He said, if you come and you keep on coming to me, have you ever come to him the first time with all your sinfulness and confessed your sin to him and asked him to forgive your sin and completely trust in him for the rest of your life? Have you ever done that? What an opportunity for you to do that today. But maybe you have done that. And so you need to hear him say to you again today, you know how you came to me then? Keep on coming to me. And as you keep on coming to me, weary and distracted and discontented and weighed down, he says, I'm going to give you my rest. And then he says, take my yoke upon you, which I would take to be, take upon you the things that I have designed for you, the yoke that I have given you that fits really well. Take my yoke, the yoke that is mine, and I've given it to you, but I want you to learn from me because I am gentle and humble in heart, and this, he is the true one that could say these words in Psalm 131. And then he says, if you do that, you will experience soul rest. Have you, uh, where are you in this whole process? Ask yourself, and I would give you the opportunity now, just where you are, if you would pray, if you would just, in the quietness of your own heart, Come before the Lord. I'm going to give the opportunity for a few minutes, for a minute or so, just for you to talk to the Lord about anything that the Holy Spirit has been saying to you today. Our loving Heavenly Father, we come to you now and we humble ourselves. You know us through and through. We can't pretend that we're humble before you because you do know us. And so, Lord, we bring ourselves to you again today. We pray that you will move us and help us in this direction, Lord. From the depths of our soul, we say to you, thank you for your forgiveness. Thank you for your grace. But we also, Lord, desperately want to live this way. We, want, we long after you that we will live a humble life. 
a life that, you, that is just open constantly to your strength and your power. We need you, Lord. We desperately, desperately need you this. I pray, Lord, too, that you will help us this week to constantly just quiet our souls down, to calm down, and to hear you say again, be still, for I am God. We thank you, Lord. We give ourselves to you today and worship in your name. Amen. Now, um, one of the things that I... Um, we're going to do is I'm going to give you a bookmark uh, relating to this psalm today. I think the ushers are about to make sure that this is all handed out to everybody. Um, but this um, bookmark uh, gives you the opportunity to reflect a little bit on Psalm 131. The, um, it, it gives you some questions for reflection and mentoring. One of the best ways that I know to um, deal with, to really know the Bible, is to share it with other people. And so maybe you can meet with somebody and talk about the psalm, and the bookmark then gives you some questions that you can use um, as you think about this Psalm 121. How prideful are you? To what extent do you exaggerate your achievements? How does sinful pride show itself in your life? How overextended are you? To what extent are you on overload and why? If someone asked your closest friends whether you were a very conceited person or contented person, what might you say and so on. And so this is just meant for you to possibly use on a one-on-one -on -one, or if you're in a community group, maybe you can use these questions uh, to explore these things together. May the Lord bless you abundantly.